Today's reading is uh, Matthew chapter 26, 17 through 30. It can be found on page 917 of the Bible next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we come into this room from all different places, whether we're... uh, dragged along or invited by a friend and really unsure of what's going on and what all this means for us, or whether we came so eagerly because of either, maybe two different reasons, because we've just been hurting and we are looking for something that could help, or maybe very opposite, we've been joyful and thankful and grateful and we've never felt closer to you. All these different places we come from and we sit here and the truth is, your Bible tells us over and over again that we're, we're all the same in a crucial way. We're more of a mess than we care to admit. And yet, your response to that messiness and fragmentation and brokenness is to move towards us with grace so that we hang on to and we grab hold of the fact that in you, through your son Jesus, we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined that our relationship with you becomes firm and everlasting because of your relational tenacity, not ours. Thank you, and preach to us, speak to us, speak right into our lives and our needs today through that gracious, loving tenacity that you've always brought to your people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus tweets. That's the name of the series. It's the last week. Um, of this idea of if Jesus lived in the world today, he would be on Twitter. He would have an account. 
He would be tweeting all the time. The reason I know this is because he did the first century equivalent of Twitter. He was always using just these simple, everyday uh, concepts, very simple, and he would use simple illustrations that were brief, and he wouldn't always explain them, but he would use them to tell the grandest things about how the world works and why he was coming to, to earth as God's son. So I think today he would just be, he would be, he would have millions of followers if he, you know, if he came to visit us uh, like he did 2,000 years ago. I like the topic today. I think it's the, the most important tweet of this series. It's the idea of Jesus talking about his, his body and his blood as the bread and wine. The bread and the wine. Um, how many of you, I mean, we're Northern Californians, how many of you love good wine? I mean, not, it's okay, I know it's church, but it's all right. <laughs> um, did, you notice, did you notice something fascinating here? When she, right at the end of this text, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink of this, this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Do you notice two amazing things, wine lovers? Do you notice two amazing things about that? First of all, he's saying in the new creation, when all these things get tied up and God's work is done, there will be wine. You, that's okay, you can applaud. I mean, it's fine. But then the other thing that he's saying, I don't know if you catch, but I really read it, a, a tone into his voice of just lamenting that he's got to wait so long, looking at the, this is the last time until I, I return. I just think it's great. Uh, maybe I'm reading a little too far into that. Um, let, let me just get right into it, because when we talk about the, 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 the bread and the cup, and we try to figure out what Jesus was doing with this analogy, I'm going to look at the, there's the who, there's the what, and there's the how. There's the who acts for you in this, there's the what he does for you, and there's the how he does it. So let's start with the who. And the, the answer to the who question, of course, is Jesus. Jesus is the one acting. He's the one breaking. He's the one giving himself. He's the one um, at the center of the action of, of what we do when we look at, this, at what's on this table. Jesus is the one acting. It actually does force you to stop and think about how you think of the whole idea of coming forward and, and receiving. Um, what I think is just incredibly amazing is how Jesus, in this story that we just read, how he shows the centrality of himself in, in what's on that table over there. Let me just tell you what's going on here. Jesus is being an observant, a good observant Jew of the first century. And so he's doing, when it says in verse 26, he says, he had, when he had given thanks... What that's pointing to is something that um, a good observant would do during a Passover celebration. And it's one of these, it's a prayer that sort of gives this countercultural sweeping narrative that the first century Jew was clinging to in life. That, that as countercultural as it is, there's a God who, and, and the prayer would, would look kind of like this. In fact, we're going to, the long prayer, as you might think of it later on in the communion time, that's modeled after this exact kind of prayer. A prayer that says, you know, the world was created, but then God didn't give up when it was fallen. And eventually, and as, you know, kind of walks through the big story, eventually it says, you know, and then, then the Israelites were in Egypt. They were slaves and they cried out. 
And there's a God, the God we hang on to, can break into to history to save at any minute. In fact, he broke in so quickly that they had to bake bread without yeast. I mean, they just had to, to get, that, get some food for the journey because he had come to save after 400 years of being in slavery. And it kind of, it's one of these prayers that, that paints this big picture of the acts of God in history and says there's a God who breaks in to this world and saves. That's countercultural. It was countercultural for, for the first century is, Israelites or, or Jewish people to hang on to amidst, but you can imagine the power of it, amidst the Roman Empire, and now they're just this little people again, and, and they think back to when the slaves cried out and God came and freed them. So this is the countercultural prayer, or this is the countercultural narrative prayer that went along with the Passover celebration. It says, and when Jesus had given thanks. Okay, so then you have to see what Jesus does. Do you realize what he says? He says something very, quite frankly, very inappropriate for a first century observant Jew to say in the midst of this. He says, he holds it up and he says, he holds up this right here. I mean, he's, he's using the unleavened bread to celebrate and that's what we've got here today. He's, he holds it up and he says, this is my body. Well, now, that, now he's saying something. This is, what? This is my body? No, 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 no. It's, it's looking back to the, the unleavened bread and remembering the whole story and what, how God breaks into history. Ah, this is my body. God's breaking into history again to save. I mean, you can't look at this and come out just saying, yeah, you know, Jesus... Um, I like to think of him as a teacher, someone just, you know, gives some good teachings about peace and how to live, but that's really all. You can't just look at Jesus after you hear him say that, and he says all kinds of stuff like this. If you really give Jesus and his teachings and the exploration of who Jesus is, you really give that time, you run into this over and over again. You can't just say, you know, Jesus is kind of a cool guy. You know, Jesus is my homeboy. He's, he's, you know, isn't Jesus the original 99%? You know, I am the 99%. Wasn't he occupying the temple courts and turning the tables over? Sorry, there's some Bible current events humor that I thought would get a laugh. Sorry for thinking. Okay, moving on. Um, the, I mean, the big point here is, the big point here is, he is putting himself into the center of your worldview. He's not afraid then or now to say, if you want to know who I am, I come into the central place in your worldview, your whole way of looking at things. It's still countercultural. It's still about a God who breaks in and saves. It's still a hard narrative to, to, to really look at the world this way. It's difficult to hang on to. But now Jesus is at the center of it because he has broken in to save so that's who acts. That's who this is about. It's about Jesus. He's, he's just, he's central to your worldview. He turns your worldview upside down and becomes the center of it. But what does he do for you? The answer to the what question is he offers himself, or no, he offers, sorry, he offers you the help you need. Let me say that again. What does he do for you? He offers you the help you need. Quite frankly, I think because we're Westerners, um, there's a certain way in which we hear that phrase. When, when someone says that what God, the relationship with God is, a, is something that can be described as 
Is God offering you what you need? This might be the translation. This is what we hear. You hear that? <laughs> My point is that it doesn't always it doesn't compute. We don't we don't like this. Let me just give you an example. How how often have you pretended um, that you're doing better than you actually are around the people who know you so that you don't have to receive? You don't have to be in that position to receive from someone else. Um, I think we do it a lot. I do it a lot. How often have you held back from sharing with the people closest to you when you are, if you're being honest, you are sucking wind. You are dying inside. And yet, oh, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. Um, now, that's interesting. But welcome to American Christianity, really. We'd rather be controlling. We'd rather have things we can tell. We say we've been doing. We'd rather be getting ourselves out of our own messes. He offers you the help that you need. And what's interesting about this is that I think on this point, this may be the most radical way that you and I will end up being challenged by Jesus, by getting to know Jesus. This might be the most radical part about it. In other places in the world, it's not unusual for, as a church begins, as, as the gospel begins to make its way into people's lives, for there to be just a dramatic amount of prayer happening, people coming together Constantly saying, God, give us more of yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's not, not our experience. <laughs> and what, what those people are doing is they're seeing something that's right here on the pages of Matthew 26. One commentator calls this little area of Scripture right here an area that teaches us the doctrine of total undependability. As Jesus says, he's offering himself for the forgiveness of sins Everyone around him, I mean, it's so clear we need this, as, as what's happening around him is that people are waffling, as you see failure, you see evil, you see weakness. You've got the priests plotting against him, Judas choosing money over integrity. Um, the disciples are fleeing, the only people he has are fleeing. The Roman soldiers are mocking him. Pilate decides that he cares more about what people think about him um, instead of making a just decision, and he caves to the crowd. I mean... The whole thing is human undependability, and right in the middle of it is Jesus saying, I'm breaking in. God is breaking in to save. I'm offering you what you need. And the implication is that if you want to know God, get used to having your hands outstretched, get used to being on your knees, get used to asking for help, get used to going into groups like our community pods where you share life with people who you might not pick to be your friends, but you just... Because this, this part of the Christian faith has changed you, you're beginning to, to humble yourself and just go where you can get God's help and share your mess with others and receive prayer. Um, I mean, I know I, you guys talk to me about what's going on in your life. I know that if we're being honest, there should be one in four of you every time we get together up here. One in four of you should be coming up and utilizing our, our prayer servants up front after the service. I know what's going on in your life. I know how at least 25% of you are are here right now just, just getting struck with your own undependability in life and you're desperate and you need help. Let me give you a challenge. Overwhelm us today with coming forward after the service. Be humble. Just receive prayer and kind words. We'll have Katie and Katie Amadio and Kathy and Carolyn and myself up here for prayer afterwards. Overwhelm us. I dare you. 
the last point, the last thing is the how. How does Jesus do it? He does it by the, the key verb with the bread, break. He breaks. He breaks the bread. And he's talking about himself, his body broken. When he talks about the cup, he talks about his blood poured out. There's really no other faith that shows us God himself entering into the, the utter terror and mess that you and I experience in this life, the way that the Christian faith does. It shows us God involving himself in the mess, the kind of stuff that, that, you, that you run into every day. It's the, it's the relative that you're in a deadlock with. There's, there's anger and there's not, you're not on speaking terms anymore. There's old hurts and wounds. The coworker who seems to be able to make life miserable for you when you just know you don't deserve it, and it seems to be coming from nowhere, and it seems to be intentional. Um, we, you know, our hearts tear. We experience the, the the pain and the woundedness of this world when you you lose a child before you've even had a chance to get to know him or her. Um, you experience abuse at the hands of someone who is called your caregiver or your guardian. Your heart gets broken by someone walking in and walking out just as fast. Or you experience the collective ostracizing as a teenager that leads you to think about suicide. There are, there's the tears and the tearing of this world that come into our lives and hit you right like a ton of bricks between the eyes when disease comes into you or your family or your friends way too early. And it's this kind of stuff that has us shaking our fist at God and saying, you have got a lot to answer to. And God's response is not to tick through every example of pain and woundedness in your life and say, here's why that had to happen. Here's why I allowed that to happen. Here, Often we wish that's what he did, but I think he does something more, more powerful and important is that he, instead through Jesus, involves himself in the tearing and in the woundedness and in the messes of this broken world. And he involves himself to bring healing. So you realize what Jesus is saying when uh, he offers us this, is he's saying, here, here is your nourishment. Here is your food. Let this nourish you. Let my broken body be a part of putting you back together and putting back together the brokenness that surrounds you. Let my torn flesh be a part of what joins back together yours and those around you. Let the, the greatest divorce that ever happened, the divorce between the father and the son when the son cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Let that divorce reconcile relationships in your life. That's what God's doing. That's what Jesus is offering. He's, he's saying, let my wounds heal you. Here's the food to heal relationship, reconcile the angry, the medicine for your raw grief, the love for the broken and the brokenhearted. Take and eat and believe that in doing so, you are walking into the presence of our world's healer, the healer of your soul. Amen. Please pray with me. God of grace, Will you please meet us? How, whatever it takes, would you come and meet us 
in the midst of our pain, our woundedness, our brokenness. Help us to stop faking it. Help us to admit our undependability before you and eventually before others. And help us to receive you. Even if we're in process and we're not ready for that kind of grand reception yet, help us to take baby steps through your own work of your Holy Spirit because we need help. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.